You're listening to The Brilliant Ones Podcast with me, your host, Donnie Adams, a show about entrepreneurs and the companies they build. Join me weekly as I speak with entrepreneurs from all over who share their experiences and advice on the companies they created. And be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Brilliant Ones. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of The Brilliant Ones Podcast. Got a special guest with me, Jeevan Betietti, CEO of Fandom Software. Steven, welcome to The Brilliant Ones. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. I'm super excited. Uh, you, you're you working on really some really great things. I'm, I'm super excited to dive in into not only Fandom Software, but also Brand Army and Stadium Express. And th- these are some really cool, cool businesses that you got going on. And but But, but first, before we dive into that, Let's let's talk a little bit more about your background. So I know before we we started the show, you told me you you've been in Dallas for what about nineteen years? Yeah, been 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 a while. Um, uh, I came to Dallas as uh, more of an enterprise guy. Um, I was working. I came here to to work for Verizon, and uh, I worked for Verizon till like two thousand and eleven. So, but uh, I was while at Verizon, I was fully on the enterprise side doing a bunch of CRM stuff. So a lot of enterprise integrations and such. L- really large scale. Um, that, that's where I actually got exposed to writing really big software and, and doing playing with lots of data uh, and writing big interfaces. So that's that's been my background and that's 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 really what got me to Dallas. So where'd you go to school? Uh, I did all of my schooling in in India. Okay. Uh did all of my schooling there. Um, and then um, I did my engineering in production in in manufacturing, and uh, yeah, uh, but my interest in software was always there. I always wanted, I always wanted to be in a realm where no two days are alike, and so software development kind of provided me that you know avenue towards that. And so while I was in 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 manufacturing for a little bit. Um, it it always was the software side uh, that that I was always interested in, and so uh, that's how my career began. And uh, I began to uh, uh, write, you know, I began to work as a software developer for a for an ERP uh, manufacturing firm, and they had a very large ERP suite. And so I got to uh, pretty much harness the best of both worlds there, manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, things as well as. Uh, software de- development, put them together, and I was kind of responsible for their uh, process production, you know, discrete production modules, um, and that's how I began to grind my gears uh, in terms of, uh, you know, um, uh, getting familiar with 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 how software is not just built, but how is it built for industry and such, and so that's how it all began. Um, two years into it, um, I found myself getting interested in the CRM side of things. So I began to realize that my interest had become much more focused. And all this was still in India. And this was uh, 2000, uh, late 1999. And right around that time, there was this massive boom here. Uh, this was the dot-com bubble. as Dot-com boom. Yeah. As a part of that, everything was, uh, there was a demand for everything. And so... Um, uh, while in Ramco, there was an opportunity for me to move over to the U.S. office and see if I could, you know, work on CRM in in much more uh, focused way 
than than what I was doing earlier. And so, uh, you know, grabbed that opportunity, uh, got here, began to got to do some good work for PeopleSoft um, um, in the in the Bay Area, and then then Hughes Network Systems, and then Waste Management in Houston, um, and finally uh, made my way to to Dallas to come work for Verizon. So that's kind of been my my journey thus far. And then since um, after that, have been in in Dallas all along. <laughs> No, nice. And so Dallas is a, is a great place. It's a lot of fast-growing companies out here. Uh, I'm sure you've seen Dallas grow tremendously over the past 19 years. It it's it's been it's been remarkable. I mean, when I when I first came here in 2003, everybody was still still uh, trying to recover from the dot-com bubble burst. Right. And uh, the economy had just begun to uh, kind of fall back on track, and um, uh, it, 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 yeah, in, in many ways, it was an infant. Uh, you know, things were at infancy, and right around that time, I did, I did think about, you know, uh, the thought about entrepreneurship did cross my mind, but things were, uh, things hadn't taken off just yet. Um, right. It was only in two thousand seven, eight, and nine. Where you know you one began to hear uh, startups and and under, under, you know general entrepreneurship a lot more than 2003, and so that kind of began to slowly prime me towards uh, towards thinking of uh, you know being an entrepreneur full time, and while that was happening, uh, you know it was not it was not easy to not be affected by all the new wave of of tech happening you know uh, web 2.0 was in in full swing um and mobile with 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 the ios 3.0 opening up uh you know with apple opening up you know their app store to third party developers suddenly changed things substantially and and it was right around that time 2007 8 and 9 where all these things happened uh, the the scene in Dallas began to change quite a bit, and so so yeah, it's it, it's been grown quite a bit. So I have I've gotten to see it, uh, you know, come a long way now. Now you did mention you were in the Bay Area at, at one point. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming back then startups weren't a thing during that during the time you were out in the Bay Area. Uh, right? I, I was I was there during the dot com boom. Right. So so I mean, yes, the startups that were there at that point of time. Yeah, I mean it. it the startup scene in Bay Area in '99 and 2000 was, was crazy. Uh, there were startups galore. I mean, every apartment that you go to, you would hear of one or two startups uh, right in that apartment complex itself. And I was I was staying in Sunnyvale, which is kind of right in the in the middle of all of, all of the action. And so, um, had roommates who would, you know, who would have to take a bus to Palo Alto and. You know, and 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 Mountain View, and then I had to go to 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 San Jose. It it was, I mean, the level of energy was just tremendous, tremendous, um, and it, it was just super exciting times. Um, and it it everybody I knew, uh, were either directly working for a startup, or were associated to somebody who's working for a startup. That is how it was. Um, up until like October or November of 2000, and that's when I guess the reality began. To, <laughs> the reality began to set in that 
this may not be a sustainable thing. Yeah. So, so things begin to change after that. So. so once you start getting, you start thinking like an entrepreneur, what were some of your first ventures or was Fathom your first venture? Uh, Fathom was my first venture. And uh, the way Fathom ended up being my first venture, uh, uh, there's a little, little bit of a story to it. Uh, again, going back to 2007, 8 and 9, um, I kind of began to wonder what is it I I knew that I was enjoying my uh, you know yeah. my enterprise life, no doubt about it. Yeah. I was getting to do big work, a lot of exposure, no complaints. It was fantastic. But you know, I like I said, it was impossible to be unaffected by all of the new things happening. I mean, especially the mobile uh, world, you know, the mobile craze, and so. Um, I did not want to be left out. I wanted to get on the bandwagon. I wanted to do those exciting things. Um, uh, exciting in in a different way. The enterprise stuff was exciting, but this was like cutting edge, right? You you never knew where this thing was headed two years you know, in, into the progression or three years into the progression. But I wanted to get on it. And so uh, that's, that is how... Uh, that was the genesis of me uh, trying to figure out my entrepreneurial journey. And so that's how Fathom got started. Um, I actually wanted to, I was actually, I spent about six months trying to figure out if if it made sense for me to get a startup going. And I did have a few startup ideas. But the more I began to think about it, um, I kept falling back on, as as I was growing, my my mom uh, she had a catering business. And one thing I, I noticed at that point of time was when she started the business, um, you know, while we cooked food for everybody else, we I realized that the food that we ate ended up being free. It, it came right from the, from the business, you know. So we didn't have to do anything else to put food on the table. It, it was a part of the business. And so, it quickly dawned on me that if I were to adopt the same approach, instead of me trying to put in all my resources, especially especially my financial resources, only in one startup, if I were to start a dev shop, I would not only get to work on multiple products for different people and get to learn a ton of stuff that way, this would also allow me to carve out resources where I could have my own startups going in parallel. And instead of instead of me getting one shot, I would probably get more shots, you know, more than one shot at, at at building a startup. And so that led me to actually have a dev shop as opposed to having a startup. So that 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 is that's the genesis of Fathom. Wow. So when you first said, okay, now you said I'm gonna go do the uh, software development, I'm gonna start my own software development company, it was just you. Did you say, okay, I'm gonna start my software development company and I could probably offshore it in India or what, what was the idea behind like were you just were you going to do most of the projects or were you going to off find a team in India that can build the software and and, and just run the business point yeah. of it very fascinating so so glad you asked this um, it initially it was just me I didn't even know where this thing is going to go and so I realized that being a developer I needed to be hands on on whatever I do as as an entrepreneur or I do as uh, as a company. And so I 
bought myself a Mac, taught myself Objective-C, and I realized that... Um, was it Objective-C? Objective-C is, at that point of time, now it's, it's Swift, but at that point of time, Objective-C was what uh, one would use to build iPhone apps, mobile apps, right. uh, for, for the iPhone. Okay. And so it took, took me a while to, to, to figure it out, but in about a year's time, uh, I built my own app. The, the purpose of the, the app was not to, to get it on the App Store and, and see, see if, if, if I go get my millions or billions that way. The purpose was to teach myself um, the core tech so that, then I, so that I could then figure out what to do with it. Do I take it as a company where I'm still a solo pruner? Or do I build it as a as a formal company out where I have devs working for me? The initial thought was to have a dev office here in Dallas, um, and uh, I was kind of going in that direction, you know. But serendipity, um, I just happened to get introduced to uh, to a guy uh, back in India, and he was looking for a job. Uh, I was looking for someone to help me because by that time I was getting projects, and I was getting an overflow. Meaning, I was not. I was having to turn down projects because I did not have capacity, and so. And you were just doing all these projects on your own. I was doing all of it myself. You know, all of the coding. I would I would work with 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 the clients, work with their designers, get the designs in, build the apps out, push their apps to the app store. I was doing it all on my own. Wow. Um, and and uh, yeah, I meet uh, this this one guy Vinayak. And uh, he he was looking for a change, so uh, I bought him a Mac. I gave him, uh, showed him my code. We walked through it. I kind of uh, helped him ramp up and understand how, you know, this kind of coding is done. To my great surprise, in about two months' time, he and I were hammering code out together. <laughs> wow! That's, and he was back in India. He was back in India. Wow! And, and I was here, uh, and that that's how it started. Um, and and that changed some of my uh, my planning my my original plan was let me uh let me build uh, a good prototype a good demo out so that i could show it to folks get a get a few big names on my resume that hey i've done work for these guys and then use that leverage that to get even more work um so i did that part so i got a chance to actually build uh, do some work for the men's warehouse i was working with Folks who are doing engineering for them, and so uh, got to do, build apps for the men's warehouse. Did some work for Neiman Markers. So, so got those names on my resume for sure. Hey, but how you were able to go get the clients? You were out still, so you were coding and out selling too at the same time. Yeah, what what I did, uh, I kind of yeah, I knew it was going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, so when I built my first app up that I wanted to show around to everybody. I built it in a way where folks could get to see the enterprise uh, mindset behind it. Uh, I just did not want to build a boutique app. So it, on the face of it, it was a simple game. But behind the scenes, I had actually built the entire architecture needed where I one could potentially see that this app could be integrated with a large enterprise system. And so that's what I built and that is what I began to show around. Took me a few months of showing it around, um, and, and then eventually, the folks who were doing work for 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 the men's warehouse, they they saw it, they connected the dots, and that's how I began to work with them. Wow, 
and then everything else just led to more it, work. It just more yeah, work. more work. It's it just networking and 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 good work led to more good yeah, work. Yeah, right. So. And so now you got your, you got your, your your guy in India. Yep. And so now do you think about hiring someone else at this point once you guys kind of get a flow going? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, there was another challenge that I ran into at that time, uh, and the challenge was I was getting an overflow of work, but it still wasn't enough for me to mark this thing, this effort as sustainable. Uh, I, I would get like one or two leads which would convert into, into engagements, but there wasn't a pipeline. And I was not becoming successful at establishing a strong pipeline. And so that's where, you know, uh, I had to kind of resort to a few growth hacks um, so one of the things that worked for me at that point of time was, uh, right now it's called Upwork, but at that time, uh, it, yeah, I know Upwork. Yeah, Upwork so, is is really. I use Upwork uh, in my e-commerce business. Yeah, and I, I use Upwork to on this podcast actually. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Upwork. And yeah, how it works. So uh, earlier it was called um, Elance. Yeah, um, and I think e- Elance and one other company they they merged and they became Upwork. So. But in 2010, 11, 12, Elance was kind of the place that you would go to to get apps built. And I knew, having realized that I was not able to build a pipeline that was consistent, I realized that the only way to get to a a strong pipeline is to have a strong portfolio. It's... it's one thing that's dependent on the other. You can't have a strong portfolio if you don't have a pipeline and vice versa as well. But you got to break that somewhere, right? So what I did is I went to Elance um, and I essentially began to bid on projects which were supposedly meant for offshore developers. But I went in and I essentially bid on them that, hey, I'm based out of US, uh, while I have, uh, while I have one guy in India, I can still do this onshore if you guys want. But I will do it at at the same prices that everybody else on Elance offers. So I equated myself completely to everybody else around the world. Um, with with, I did not have any. Uh, I did not apply any of the billing. Uh, you know, tenets or standards that uh, one from the United States would apply. So none of those billing rates applied. And so suddenly it became a level playing field for me. And plus, since I had done that work for those two big names, it became a lot easy for me to, to sell that and say that, hey, I've done this big work. I come from an enterprise world and I'm going to build apps for you at the same price as any other offshore uh, company. Uh, here I am. And then that's how I began to get work. And sometimes, initially it was very small. Uh, a, a simple planner app and, and a, a very simple color picking app and such. And then that led to, to, to bigger things. But that exercise of uh, that, that exercise as a growth hack really worked. And I ended up getting like 16 or 17 projects that way. And that really made my portfolio very meaty, yeah. right, which which led to bigger work. Right. No. 
And, and and so what point did you start building out a team or did you like how did you get more people involved with your development or do you still do the primarily all the development yourself? Uh I I I do hands on dev but uh. now the team's grown. Yeah yeah uh, yeah and and uh, we at any given point of time we are depend if we put the employees and the contractors together we are between 15 and 20 sometimes a little over 20 as well yeah. in terms of a headcount. Uh but the way it started was we were at that point of time we were only developing iOS apps and so it was me and and this guy vinayak the the mm-hmm. two of us i mean he and i we, we hit it off and we are great buddies we um, you know yeah. i was talking to him literally this morning yeah. uh, you know for for some stuff that 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 he and i are working together so it's been a amazing amazing uh, collaboration with him uh, but um uh, the what ended up happening was we we began to work on on these projects and then um in in a month or so his friend comes along uh, and his his buddy is looking for work and so we pull him in we essentially do the same thing that vinayak and i did together rinse and repeat and that guy begins to the three of us begin to hammer code out yeah and then the fourth person comes along the fifth person comes along before we know we were six people and uh all, we, all based in india all based in india and um i was the only guy here uh the modus operandi was still the same we would all sit and code and uh back in india we actually rented out half of a water cooler room <laughs> literally <laughs> half of a water cooler room we stuck six desks there and and that's how we began to work um and and uh daytime i would work nighttime they would work um i would do all of the requirements and i would you know all of the architecture and design and then at night we would sit and we would code it it was very challenging physically i mean let alone mentally physically it was it was really draining me out uh, i was never used to sleeping for like 2 hours 3 hours a night uh but that was my new life at at that point of time right. i knew if if that model had to work this level of sacrifice was absolutely needed and that's how it it all started and that's how the team began to grow gotcha. so so are you st- for the for the contractors are you still using upwork uh not anymore uh we we directly source them uh the india office directly sources them now okay uh, so so we have we have a, a set of dedicated full time employees right and then uh you know we we have uh an an overflow of contractors as needed most of the times the contractors now are no longer tech uh they are either uh you know marketing uh you know the skill is either marketing or ui ux uh, because now the tech is completely taken care of yeah you know, the, the team i've i've been very fortunate to to have built a team that is extremely passionate about tech so uh that has not been my worry at all the yeah. last several years now yeah so are you utilizing virtual assistants at all Uh, virtual assistants uh every so often i do but the way i work uh there isn't much room for a virtual assistant um mm. i i've toyed with the idea quite a bit yeah um but especially because of of the nature of our engagements right. they are extremely close uh, very very personal engagements and almost always the clients that come along to me come to me because my existing clients refer them out to to me and then the second thing that ends up happening which also i'm very fortunate about is 
we we worked for a few years we ended we end up becoming great buddies and that leads to newer engagements where i end up being a co-founder yeah. so so it's these kind of relationships and so are, that's oh so i, I mean c- cut you off no, so that no that's that's how you got the other so that actually that's a good transition yeah into so what was the first startup that you you co-found uh the, the true the first true startup that i co-founded was uh i would say yeah uh was stadium express stadium okay yeah so there as well uh i got to meet don eric um and and chris and max uh and they had they had the startup called menu runners that was you know that they had kicked off uh menu runners was a food delivery startup and uh, their niche was to do food delivery in tier 3 cities um in, in the tertiary markets uh not not the dallases and not the austins but smaller towns waxahachie lubbock you know midland and and so uh that was that was the idea and it it actually worked uh so by the time i uh, joined forces with them they already had a bunch of cities where they were actually delivering food and they had a daisy chained a technology system in place uh, it was not none of that was you know custom built they had just used so many different products to put together the tech that they wanted to work and they had reached a point where that was hitting its limits and they needed somebody to come in and build uh, tech for them from the ground up and that's how i got to know donaric and uh, we began to build we built the tech for minuners minuners took off uh, it began to do really well but in those 3 years uh, obviously we 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 kind of got to know each other really really well and so we became great buddies um and then there was this new opportunity came um donrick's way where um where there was an opportunity to deliver food in seat in stadiums while games were going on and we initially talked about how could we repurpose some of the tech that we built for many runners or do we build something from the ground up how do we go about doing it um that uh, as as we begin to think through all of that uh that eventually culminated in uh stadium express and then you know that's where i got an opportunity to co-found uh stadium express along with don eric and chris and and max so what is stadium express stadium express uh, is uh, uh, is an in seat uh food delivery um platform where say you are you are you are watching a game uh either at the, the you know at, at in frisco uh say you're watching soccer at the toyota stadium mm-hmm. or uh you're at at uh, at the legends uh right. watching basketball um you're in seat there's an app uh you you either want you know to order alcoholic beverages or or regular food that's out there on the menu uh what we did is we built a framework out where um they would come in and many times we would do it on their behalf where we would actually build out their entire menu of all of the food that's available in all of the stalls at at the stadium and have it displayed within an app users folks who are watching the game would sit in their seats and order food from the app 
and we had backend a backend console built actually two consoles built one that was facing the kitchen and one that was facing uh, the runners who would run and deliver food and then uh, essentially uh, what we did was we built this triangulation and then um, the way the triangulation worked was somebody ordered food uh, the kitchen would get notified they would uh, prepare the food uh, there would be runners waiting there uh, and the runners would get to know exactly hey this is the order number this is the seat this is the row this is the section here is the bag and they would and run to deliver food uh, and and that's how uh, we went went about doing fulfillment so that is what made runners uh, that, that is what stadium express uh, really was and and so yeah that that's that's the premise of of stadium express oh wow so have have you got is, is it a qr code that people have to scan or is it actual app that it, it's an could, it's an app that people have to okay yep. they have to download yep they download the app and yeah uh, uh luckily for us uh Apple's in-app purchase rules don't did not apply to us because we were actually selling physical commodities. Right. So so worked worked great really. Yeah. yeah. No. Let's uh, see. Covid did affect us um, uh, quite a bit. So yeah, Stadium Express. Uh, the heyday was certainly prior to Covid. Yeah. So how how did you get involved with a uh, brand army? Uh, same exact thing. Same um, way. <laughs> um, so and what. What is Brand Army? Brand Army. Brand Army is a fan monetization platform. Um, it's smack in the middle of the creator economy. Um, so the idea is, you may be a successful creator, uh, having your own audience elsewhere. Could be TikTok, could be Instagram, YouTube, wherever. But all those sites, all those platforms they work on a revenue share basis so you create content you draw an audience out they get to serve ads to that audience and they share their profit with you there isn't much of a direct uh, way for you to to monetize uh, off of your fan following now there are sites uh, like there's for the for the general audiences you have patreon um and for the adult audiences you have uh you know few other sites uh only fans like only fans yeah. yeah which do exactly the same uh, same thing where creators come in and have offerings and monetize off of those offerings right um vikram and ramon uh they uh the way first of all the way we got to know each other was i was roped in by them to build tech for one of their earlier startups uh called drive ads Uh, and it was uh, the idea was to wrap vehicles in vinyl and then track how many people saw that vinyl and based on that essentially build a build an advertising model but uh, we we built the tech and right then covid happened and covid just decimated it <laughs> um so it it was a hard decision for vikram and ramon to take but ramon uh, in his in his past is a has been a photographer has been a fo- fashion photographer so he kind of had this idea at the back of his mind the market was just not ready at that point of time when he had that idea and so uh it kind of covid hitting us uh in many ways was a boon in disguise um that allowed vikram and ramon to reset and really think what is it that they could do next in lieu of drive ads and um looking at 
how the environment was, how the creator economy had shaped up, it was kind of a no-brainer for Ramon to realize, hey, you know what? The idea from a few years ago, I could actually, uh, we could see if we could bring it to life. And so, but by then, uh, we had got to know to know each other quite well. Uh, and so, it, it uh, drive ads kind of dies out, and uh, we are like, hey, let's get Brand Army going. And so, so that's how Brand Army took off. So we began to work on Brand Army um, around April of 2020. Uh, March of 2021 is when we went into open beta. And yeah, since then we've been, uh, we still consider ourselves to be in beta, even though for all functional purposes, we are a full-fledged, fully working. So how many influencers you guys have on the platform? We have a, we have around 100, I would 100. say. Uh, I cannot recall the exact number right now, but give or take around 100. And in terms of users, we have had 170,000 users. 170,000 users. Yep. Wow. So what's been the strategy to get influencers to, to use a brand army? Um, so the, the initial, the initial idea, uh, was to, was to get, uh, was to be a general platform exactly like, like TikTok or Instagram and have, uh, you know, general creators who, who cater to a general audience, um, and, and reach out to them, have them come over to brand army. Uh, the idea of brand army is very simple. You are the brand, you bring the army. So you bring your army over and you serve them content that you would not serve them elsewhere. And that the idea was to, to explore monetization uh, avenues off of that. But over a period of time, things changed and uh, there were a lot of, you know, soft pivots uh, along the way in terms of identifying creators that we could help monetize strongly. And so one area that um, that we were able to penetrate pretty well was um, the WWE wrestlers, um, where you have all these wrestlers, um, either their wrestling career is going really well or they're thinking about extending this career into something else. And so uh, a bunch of wrestlers actually came onto the platform and that um, that helped uh, bring about very uh, uh, dedicated um, fan following uh, along, you know, towards those those wrestlers, and and that that was a pretty big, uh, you know, I would say um, uh, uh, growth area for for Brand Army. Yeah, no, I think Brand Army is 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 a great idea because what we're seeing today is. It is like an influencer world, right? And if it, those who have influence, you know, you know, can make a lot of money because people want to follow that person, right? People want to see what that person is doing on a day to day, on a day to day era, right? People want to be involved in their life, and so it, it's crazy how times have changed now because everybody wants to see everything, right? They want to see behind the scenes, they want to see what's going on, and influencers who have the big following. Can, can benefit off that because they can put out a candy bar. They can put out makeup. They can put out a t-shirt, a drink, a tequila, right? Yeah. And people are going to buy it just because they build their brand up and they can recognize it. And True. so that you're going to see, it's it's just going to get more and more known. It, it, it's going to get more bigger now as people become more influencers. And now these brands have to rely on the influencer, 
true very true i, I you, you actually nailed it um 2010s the you know 2005 through 10 it was all about you it was all about you know a friend graph as to hey you are important therefore people connected to you are important and therefore the network is defined by that you know uh, by that norm um that has changed and then it's no longer it's it may there is still a part about you but it's not as much you anymore it's way more about what you do that's more important than what you are so it's no longer a friend graph it's it's an interest graph now everything is driven by interests and and tiktok has milked this like like crazy it's all so if you were to go on tiktok you do not you are not served content based on people you are served content based on what kind of actions do you like like to see do you like to see musicians do you like to see you know performers do you like to see cover videos how it may be and that is the content that is served to you continuously and and everywhere it's kind of becoming that and so that is where you know things went from uh you, you as a person are socially popular through to you becoming an influencer through to you becoming a creator where you are actually creating stuff and it is what you are creating is what matters more than what you are as 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 a person and that is what is driving all of these interest graphs yeah i think that's good. it's it's a good time to to really be a content creator right even if you're a small business it's so much power in just creating content because your 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 uh your audience wants to see it they want to see how the brownies are made right <laughs> they oh, just don't want to eat the brownies they want to see how the brownies <laughs> are made right they want to see what goes into it and they also want to see the bloopers behind it they want to see the staff they want to see who's laughing and giggling and who showed up the work late they want to see everything can you believe we live in a day and age now where people actually watch people eat <laughs> that, that has been blowing my mind ever since i first got to know about it yeah uh, it, i mean the way we vikram roman and i the way we heard about it was oh this was yeah that in 2015 2016 there used to be folks in korea who pay other people to eat stuff that they cannot eat and we were like what a far fetched concept yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know here we are oh you know what there there is that and and notions have changed i would i would actually be taken aback every time we'd go to a restaurant and my daughter would you know uh, take her phone out and instead of trying to eat the food that was served she would first take a picture five years in every time i go out to eat that's the first thing i do yeah yeah <laughs> so we've changed as as people as well yeah, so right. to your point yeah there's there's probably there never has been a better time for for a creator yeah no i absolutely um as we wrap up i always like to ask this question um what uh what what advice would you give entrepreneurs uh quite a few things i would i would say <laughs> it's 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 quite a big list but the first thing is uh do not treat any effort as as the only effort you are going to go after um uh, the adage you know fail learn grow is absolutely true and you cannot look at it as a, as a two dimensional circle you have to look at it like a slinky uh 
fail, learn, grow. It is it is a slinky, and you keep going from one hoop to the other. Um, so that's that's the first thing I would say. Failing is is absolutely not a bad thing. Not only is failing a bad thing, failing is absolutely essential for you to succeed. You cannot learn your lessons the way you do when you fail. Not saying that you should fail, <laughs> but if you do, it's not a bad thing. So that's that's the first advice. Um, the second advice I would say is surround yourself with the best advisors that you can. Um, I cannot, I mean, at least twice or thrice, Fathom as as a company has gotten saved because of the amazing advice I've gotten from from my close buddies. Uh, and and so so make sure that you go out there and you you network enough, make make good acquaintances, good friends, good mentors who can really give you worthwhile advice that could actually uh, mean uh, the difference between closing your business versus giving it another shot. And then the third thing I would say, uh, there are times when hail marys will be needed, leaps of faith will be needed. Uh, you and only you will will be in the best position to decide what to do. Um, you you could go away, uh, you know, and, and just flicker out, or you could give it the best you could, and and flicker out. End of the day, you'd want to have the feeling that you gave it everything. So, and, and that is that is what I see as a difference between people who who resigned. Uh, and and went back to doing other things versus people who actually succeeded. It was one or one or more of those you know leaps of faith. So that's the the other thing I would you know that's that's uh, that has helped me. That I'm sure uh, other people should should keep uh, you know at the back of their minds. And the last thing is a safety net. Sometimes it's very hard to have figure a safety net uh, uh, you know at the back of your mind. A lot of folks actually even recommend that you should not have a safety net. If you don't have a if you don't have a plan B, you are going to put all your effort into getting plan A to work. I I see I see that thought process and I appreciate that thought process. But in today's day and age, uh, for you to for you to uh, you know to be able to maximize uh, the gains from your from your effort, at least in my case, it. I I always every time I took a step every time I had a leap of faith or 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 I had to throw a hail mary I was like what is my plan B if this were to not work do not have to spend too much effort exercising it but at least let there be something back in 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 your mind so that while you are taking all those uh, risky uh, you know you're you're executing your managed risk you have this at your back of your mind that hey, if this were to not work, I have a plan B in place as a detour. So uh, that that thing definitely has helped me quite a bit. So those are the things I would say. You know, uh, any starting ent- entrepreneur uh, should would if if they would keep this at the back of their minds, that would really help. And then uh, finally, just do it, man. If if you have an idea, um, you will be surrounded by. Out of, if if you meet a hundred people, you are going to have ninety nine people who are probably going to have a conventional line of thought, and they are going to ask you to take the path that is that is walked upon. Uh, but if, if you think that you you want to venture out and do something else, do not hesitate. Just do it. Nice. No, Jeevan, appreciate it.
Thank you, man. This has been awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad you had me yeah. on, your, on your show. No problem. Thank you. You're listening to The Brilliant Ones Podcast with me, your host, Donnie Adams, a show about entrepreneurs and the companies they build. Join me weekly as I speak with entrepreneurs from all over who share their experiences and advice on the companies they created. And be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Brilliant Ones.